0: The farm at UC Santa Cruz is world-renowned and thousands of aspiring and practicing farmers have learned how to farm sustainably there. But before there was a farm, there was the garden, the Alan Chadwick Garden to be precise.
1: Closed, 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 to back to the
0: good evening, Case, good listeners, and a happy Earth Week to you. It's every other Sunday again. I'm Ronnie Lipschitz, and you're listening to Sustainability Now a bi-weekly K-Squid radio show focused on environment, sustainability, and social justice in the Monterey Bay region, California, and the world. My guest today is Oren Martin, who has been manager of the Allen Chadwick Garden at UC Santa Cruz since 1977, and who is much beloved by legions of students and alumni. Oddly enough, Martin had no formal training as a gardener when he arrived in Santa Cruz. Today, he is recognized as a master orchardist, horticulturalist, and teacher. And what came to be named the Allen Chadwick Garden was launched in 1967, tucked onto a steep clay hillside next to Merrill College. Today, the garden is part of the Center for Agroecology and Sustainable Food Systems. It is the up part of the center, while the farm is the down part. At the same time, there are many students who don't even know it exists. Well, Oren, welcome to Sustainability Now.
2: Glad to be here.
0: So. We want to hear about your role and experience at the farm and garden, but why don't we start with a more timely matter? So what has been happening to the garden over the past year while the campus has been closed and when do you expect it will reopen?
2: Well, let me just uh, state, frankly, it's been a rough ride. Um, And uh, in March of 2020, there was the lockdown, the pandemic was on But our little odyssey and rough ride actually dates to earlier in winter quarter, January, February. Um, We have on the books a class in environmental studies called uh, agroecology practicum, and it's a marvelous thing. It's been around forever. Enables uh, lecturers and the staff of the farm and the garden to get together and we'll usually it's three hours a week uh, 35 or so students we'll kick it off with one of us giving a relevant talk lecture if you will and then we'll flow out into the fields gardens and orchards and do something applied uh, like that so we we usually do a little bit at each of our three sites the farm field the farm garden the upper chadwick garden but we decided to do it solely on fruit trees that year and i would be the sole instructor and boom the grad student strike hit and we well we honor the dignity of physical labor in our profession, but we honor unions. So we were bound and determined not to come onto campus. Uh, And so we staged five, six weeks of this class at various farms and orchards in in the area. And it Uh, was a uh, logistical scramble and, and nerve wracking, but we pulled it off and all involved the farmers, the students and uh, myself and I had one assistant, Claire Reesman, who's my assistant manager, uh, thought it went marvelously. And it was great because they were working in a real farm situation. Okay, so that preceded the pandemic. The pandemic hit and from March to July, I was the only individual allowed by, uh, from, by the Dean Catherine Mitchell, Social Sciences in at Chadwick Garden. And we had two people down at the farm. And I sometimes work at the farm too, particularly in the orchard. Um, so it was a little bit of everything what's that open what are those opening lines from charles dickens a tale of two cities yeah we're all going straight to heaven we're all going direct the other way and all that uh, so it was uh, uh, a little overwhelming uh, physically uh, trying to keep up a three acre plus intensive garden uh, myself wishing i was 32 years old not 72 years old um, and yet it was kind of transcendentally revealing i'm gonna say it was a retrospective as it were i so reconnect with all the minutiae and all the detail of every little thing you do and every nook and cranny in mm-hmm. that garden mm-hmm. and then helping out in the farm uh, orchard down below in july i was able to get my assistant manager claire reisman back and she's been the two of us since then and you know it's it's difficult we're on the verge of uh, hiring four student workers, so I'm hopeful this next uh, season will go better. Uh, and the farm was similarly shut down with just a few people. Right, so right. Both, I guess this is a word out to the Santa Cruz community, both the farming garden are going forward more uh, aggressively in a good way this year with plantings. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, we're going to have our CSA and our farmer's market cart that we usually have at the base of campus, but it'll be situated at the cow hay barn, not down at the barn theater. It'll be information about it. It'll be up and on the website uh, mm-hmm. shortly. And we're going to do it mostly with student worker labor. So it should be interesting. Um, so, um, Uh, It's just been uh, uh, a bit of a a fight, uh, a battle to stay above water with all. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, We have a considerable orcharding effort at both sites, 200 plus. Uh, Pretty good sized trees at the farm and uh, almost 600 dwarf trees at the Chadwick Garden. I just finished, I guess this is a humble brag, I just finished pruning all of them alone. So that's cool. So that's where we are right now on the verge of spring, hopeful. uh, And we're thinking, we're hoping we could open to the general public. And I'd like to get a a volunteer program going um, uh, by midsummer. But that's up to uh, the dean.
0: The powers that be, yeah. powers that be, yes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the background to the garden, okay? Because that's really what I wanted to focus on. Sure. Um, So, you know, who was Alan Chadwick? Why was he so well-known in the 60s? And what was it that he brought to the garden, you know, in terms of farming methods?
2: Uh, Sure. Can I preface that with a little bit about the founding of the garden? Oh,
0: absolutely. No, no, that's important. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Chadwick was important, but I think what was more important was the sentiment then uh, amongst faculty and students that caused the garden in uh, in 1967 and then the farm in 1971 uh, to come into being. And the circumstances were not all that different in a sense than they are now. So um, what was the general situation? Um, It was a time both nationally, regionally in California, very much uh, Uh, One of political tumult, uh, turmoil, conflict, um, different issues but the same issues. Uh, There was a war, Vietnam, like that. uh, uh, Campus was founded in 65, the Chadwick Garden was founded in 67. In 68, in April, Martin Luther King was assassinated. In uh, June, Bobby Kennedy, Um, Rachel Carson had just written The Silent Spring a few years uh, previously. Cesar Chavez and United Farm Workers were active, uh, nascent organization. Um, So that's kind of, uh, there was no organic food industry and not much organic farming, quite frankly, in the terms that we're so familiar with, agroecology, sustainability, food systems, food security. Had not yet been coined. So that was kind of the milieu uh, uh, like that. The campus was still being constructed in 67. It was quite a din, construction, noise. Sometimes I think it's analogous to today with further expansion. Um, and this had a somewhat, uh, here, here was a superimposition of uh, a pretty uh, uh, massive uh, institution on a relatively uh, pristine landscape. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a big deal. And that had an unsettling effect on some faculty and certainly on the student body like that. A mm-hmm. um, uh, three professors, principally Paul Lee, Paige, Smith, and Donald Nicole uh, of Cal College. There was just Cal Merrill, Crown, uh, 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 I mean, Crown Merrill, Cal Stevenson at that time, maybe 1,500, 2,000 students on campus. Um, they, uh, talked with some students, and uh, as a result of that talk, uh, Donald Nicole gave a a talk entitled A Sense of Place, and and at the end of it, he had three suggestions as to how people could put down roots, literally, and figuratively on the campus, Uh, and one was to have a bell tower. And on the hour, it would ring, and people would know they were working and living and studying in common and, and all that. And that's kind of a bell tower, which I might add, I don't think peels anymore up at Crown College.
0: Uh, uh, did, it, did it ever actually ring?
2: Yeah, it did uh, uh, in the early days, in the 70s. Well, you know,
0: in the original plans, there was a Campanile uh, drawn oh, in
2: was going to be little Berkeley eh? like
0: Berkeley <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyhow and then the second suggestion was to commission an art piece uh, uh an earth mother type uh statue and that uh-huh. was done by a woman named Sarah Boutel, who was Mary Holmes a founding art professor's sister mm-hmm. uh, And that still exists over hidden in behind this really ugly fuchsia bush in the cow cow courtyard yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is a very anglo uh white uh, uh, earth mother with long braids going down uh, to roots. And it's cool and everything. um, And the third suggestion was to start a guard. And what came out of that was uh, through through serendipity, Paul Lee uh, knew somebody who knew this man called Alan Chadwick. Alan Chadwick was a world-class horticulturalist. He'd worked all around the world in different gardening situations, market garden situations in Europe, uh, state gardens, this and that. Um, And he was also uh, an actor, principally a Shakespearean actor. And that very much figured into who he was and what he brought and all the early surroundings at the uh, garden. Um, He was... uh, really dramatic um and he he taught a lot with story fable and and like that and it was, was mesmerizing but he but he also was as i said a world-class uh, horticulturist. so uh, chadwick was enlisted to come and uh just so many things about the farming garden that were about grace and serendipity i don't think that these two entities could be established today at the University of California, but it was a young and malleable institution and Dean McHenry, the founding chancellor and his posse were pretty innovative in terms of what they were trying to do. Um, And sometimes they were highly successful at it too. Uh, At any rate, uh, McHenry had been a Lompoc uh, farm boy, grew up on a farm. So he had an understanding of the farming lifestyle and was sympathetic towards it. So he, uh, in the early years, was very supportive, uh, uh, moral support, yeah, but monetary support as well. And he said, "You can pick out three acres anywhere you want on campus." Uh, Chadwick had been enlisted, as I said. He came and picked the really foreboding, steep, infertile slope of the uh, present Chadwick Garden right below Merrill College, and which was, I'm pretty sure, the uh, uh, biogeographic center for poison oak. In <laughs> extreme uh, the soil, there wasn't so it, it's, it's actually part of a the plant community is a, a chaparral um, a plant community which is a really fascinating one of my favorite plant communities in california but it's not associated with deep rich soils really? um and in really? fact it's further degraded by uh, construction to build the electrical power station that was adjacent so it was just uh the most a uh, foreboding sight you could imagine, but it had a nice gentle south facing slope and amiable microclimate and through methods and Chadwick uh, kind of coined the term biodynamic French intensive raised bed gardening, which is a huge yeah. model and uh, he took a little bit from a lot of different cultures and his personal experiences and and kind of there's nothing new under the sun in terms and he would admit that but but the fashion this system which features the raised bed intensive uh planting and uh and a lot of his principles, again, it just predated a lot of the, the jargon we now have in agriculture and ecology, and, and it was much more flowery. He would have debates sometimes, public debates, and they were well attended with Kenneth Tiemann, who was a scientist on campus, and Chadwick, who was, you know, <laughs> seemingly from another planet. Uh, and uh, and, and, and uh, Tiemann would talk about, uh, you know, xylem and phloem. phloem vascular plants and Chadwick would, would, would say the exuberant plant juices and they were both saying the same thing but they just could not yeah. hear each other and so there was a bit of a friction at the outset between the science community on campus and the garden and farm project um, so Chadwick came and he was very dynamic and he attracted many students. There may be may have been 30 to 50 students in a body student body of 1,500 people that came and worked either part-time or full-time at the, the garden. And so he established an apprentice program, but it was informal. It didn't have any real administrative home. And it went on, and it flourished, and it got national renown. And um, and rightfully so. It was an amazing transformation of, like I said, a foreboding, foreboding uh, uh, landscape uh, and then at some point people said well we need a farm and so McHenry again said pick out a site and we picked it I didn't uh, uh, they picked out the site down at the farm which at the original site was 17 acres It's now expanded to 30 and in 71 the farm began so uh, Chadwick was a uh, very uh, tempestuous individual very inspirational very knowledgeable of uh, a very mercurial and he was always looking for greener pastures so in 71 72 he left and went on to northern california first went to the zen center north of san francisco and then established this amazing project in covalo california so that's a little bit about chatterwick and the origins of the garden
0: okay well let's take a short break You're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM on your radio dial and KSQD.org streaming on the internet. This is Sustainability Now. I'm Ronnie Lipschitz, and I'm speaking with Oren Martin, who is manager of the Alan Chadwick Garden at UC Santa Cruz. What did the scientists think that they were getting?
2: Uh, Let me just... Say a couple of things here. I didn't work directly with Shavik on a day-to-day basis. I was around the fringes, attended lectures, had friends who worked there. Uh, I was thinking about maybe apprenticing with him, but by the time I decided I didn't want to apprentice with this quote-unquote mercurial guy, he went up to Northern California. I then became an apprentice with one of his uh, heir apparents, a student graduate, uh, uh, Steve Toffler, who then took the and form, made an, a, a more formal apprenticeship through University Extension, where we're now housed. So, but I, I I had a lot of contact with Chadwick but not working day to day. So, uh, I think, uh, like I said, uh, I just I, I just find it interesting how, in let me just say, I think we are now the Farmer Garden, well, and appropriately ensconced in the. University and uh, working in tandem and cooperation with the scientific yeah. community, and particularly, uh, but not exclusively, environmental studies. Um, we do a lot of uh, uh, replicated research at the farm and some at the, the Chadwick Garden, too, mostly on entomology at the Chadwick Garden. But I've always been struck how uh, artists, practitioners like gardeners and farmers, and scientists are a lot alike. They both share a kind of a they have these skills of keen observation focus uh uh involved with methods and results and then want to in one form or another share those results with others scientists have graphs and data and all that and uh, farmers gardeners have produce and such and methods teaching methods like that but that that wasn't the case and i think a lot of it was really due to, in, in the early years of the garden and then the farm, The uh, Chadwick was just a really tempestuous lesbian. <laughs> he just was dramatic about everything. And it just got things off to a, a rocky start. Um, in my mind and in my experience, and I've been involved with the farm and garden since 1972 in one fashion or another, um, what we do, farming and gardening is a... Uh, craft, but it's infused and informed by science. A lot of what we do, the staff of the Farm and Garden, is to try to dive deep into a topic, the physiology of fruit trees, uh, soil, the soil ecosystem, try to master it as best we can. and then try to interpret it or translate it to others to a diverse audience. It could be general public with workshops, undergraduate interns. We work with uh, grad students, and our anchor program is our six-month apprentice program. Um, uh,
0: we we'll also, come back to that, okay? Because I want to ask about that. No,
2: so, so uh, I'm rambling, of course, but but uh, uh, I I just think it was people missed in terms of listening and and communicating.
0: Well, no, you know, but I mean, this is actually an interesting question because of course the uh, UC Davis began as an agricultural station and I think Riverside as well. Yeah. Right. And at these agricultural stations, there was this whole sort of attempt to make uh, agriculture farming scientific. Right. Because because then it would become respectable. Right. I mean, is this what is this what people like Tiemann thought they were going to get here? Some kind of formalized uh, effort, agricultural effort that that would then, you know, hue to all of the uh, sort of criteria of an agricultural
2: research station? Perhaps. (laughs) That was their their paradigm, their worldview, as it were. But also, I I think it was even more fundamental than that that was want the charge of uc santa cruz no uh, davis and riverside etc like that and and so what was that doing here? and then that, that it was organic and this is again at a time where organics was uh considered a cult uh and in right, truth wasn't yeah. much uh, 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 methods science research behind it as there is as now well, um so uh well there were there they, was in my view, at that time, heck, environmental studies was viewed a little skeptically, Sure, right? sure, sure. So <laughs> <To> organic farming <laughs> with a wild actor Englishman leading youth, that was... Really didn't sit well.
0: Well, you know, on the other hand, I mean, there's 10,000 years of experience behind farming, and there were only what about 400 years of experience with science, right? I mean, that's this is
2: very, very true. And <laughs> if you so, look at it, yes, soil sciences, actually came late to the scene in terms right. of this, maybe only a couple 300 years. Yeah. And yet, if you look back to 10,000 years, obviously, kind of palpably, people had the ability to perceive and to interpret and to have knowledge based on soils.
0: Well, they didn't have to publish to get tenure, right? I mean, that was a big, they had to produce food, but they didn't have to produce journal articles. And so
2: we have a civilization.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. how, how did you end up in Santa Cruz?
2: Well, as uh, Unlikely and as I mean if you think about the farm and garden, here it is, this you know, we would probably have fit better in terms of rubric on at the junior colleges teaching teaching a practical skill. Yeah. That we have been able to come in and to establish and to have appropriately good respect uh in a large teaching research institution is kind of phenomenal. Well uh my presence here today is equally as serendipitous and chance. I, um, let's see, uh, I grew up uh, all over. We moved around a lot. I lived in, uh, uh, principally in the Boston area, but I lived in Long Island, um, Connecticut, Ohio, and Florida various uh, And I was attending in 1967, I was a freshman at American University uh, in Washington DC. I thought I wanted to be involved with the diplomatic corps. Turned out I was uh, dead wrong. Uh, and it was an incredibly politicizing year, as I said. I was involved with the first march on the Pentagon, a couple hundred thousand people in the fall. Uh, as I said, Martin Luther King was assassinated April 4, Bobby Kennedy, um, like that, and there was a war raging. I was I was white and privileged, I was a student, so I got what was called a 2S student deferment. Mm-hmm. As long as I stayed in school, had passing grades, um, I didn't have to be drafted and go to Vietnam. Uh, and uh, more and more, I became uh, a war protester. Uh, and uh, at one point, I in the spring, I turned in my student deferment. I said, I, I, I'm all, I, I'm privileged to have this. I don't want it. They said, great, report in two weeks to the Boston Naval Base for your pre-induction physical. And so I went through a, a set of shenanigans that some were sincere and some were indeed shenanigans. Uh, uh, for about a year, a year and a half, uh, resisting the draft and uh, finally cul- culminated in them uh, saying that I was both uh, physically, morally, and psychologically unfit for military service. So sort
0: of like Arlo Guthrie, right? It was
2: yeah. A lot like there were scenes like that in my life, except <laughs> let me say I was an 18 year old kid in Boston and there wasn't the movement back there that the, in solidarity that was out here. It was fairly terrifying and alienating. Yeah, sure. But I need some RR. I had some friends who are living in Santa Cruz. They said, come on out. The weather's great. Uh, you don't have, There's no snow. You don't have to shovel sunshine out here. And I came out and I was here in town. And there were some people associated with this household who worked at this place called The Garden up on campus. And I, they were never there. <laughs> they, were, they were up before the sun came and came back late. And so at one point, uh, I went up there. And it was one of those, those uh, mornings where the fog was lifting. Garden <laughs> height under Chadwick, uh, seventy seventy one, um, and um, uh, it was just just a just a transformative moment. And I had grown up. I was. A, I probably only made it through high school because I played sports and had to stay eligible by passing, the only way I could say eligible was passing my classes, that uh, was my motivation, it was very extrinsic, um, and uh, I didn't like gardening at all, I thought, oh, what's with that? Um, And I was just struck down by the beauty of the garden and I decided right then I want to do this. So I proceeded to start volunteering at the farm. And in 1974, as I said, I I was a member of the first university extension approved apprentice program. It was then a year long program. Uh, We started in July farm till the Volcanium, and then we were enrolled in one uh, environmental studies class each quarter—winter uh, and spring. And then we came busting out in the spring and garden that summer. It was a pretty robust and uh, immersive experience. We also lived on the farm, um, so uh, I did that. I graduated, uh, and then. Uh, I worked uh, briefly for a year and a half for the Santa Cruz City and Santa Cruz County that a robust uh, community gardening program was funded. Uh, And uh, then uh, Steve Kafka, who I said was the head of, uh, after Chadwick of the Farm and Garden left, And through a set of, again, serendipitous serendipitous circumstances, I was one of two people hired to run the farm and garden in July of 1977. I was never sure when I started working there, but one time when my younger daughter was born, I went up to benefits to put her on the benefits, and the uh, person there said, oh, you'll probably always, always remember that date. Seven eleven seventy seven. I guess it was indeed. My- <laughs> so I've been at the farm and garden as a staff person. Uh, I am nominally the manager of the Chadwick Garden, but like I said, over the years I have worked at both the farm and garden, particularly in the orchard at the farm. And then I'm involved in all of our uh, uh, teaching, all the staff, uh, there's four or five of us principally who teach Diverse audiences, so I'm involved with that effort. And uh, as I said, our our platform uh, anchor program has always been our uh, apprentice program.
0: Yeah. um, So, what's the status of the apprentice program? Apprentice program right now, it's it's got. I know uh, some years ago there was a big kerfluffle about people living in tents, and (sighs) uh, you know, and, and and I want to talk a little bit more about how the university has kept pressuring you know, the farm to become more and more rigorous, so to speak. Uh, but um, but what about the apprenticeship program?
2: Talk about the present state of the apprentice program. Yeah, that's what it's... um From 77 till uh, 2019, we ran a six-month residential program. And people lived initially in tents at the farm. Uh, and in sometime in uh, one of the budget crunches, early 90s or somewhere in there, i think i think it was the, the next one after it was later yeah uh, uh, 2000 2005 somewhere in there one of the catastrophic uh, bu- bu- budget state budget crunches um uh, there was a huge student village at the basic campus and they were camping there in tents and uh uh there were a negative a bunch of negative things that came about really an overreaction by the campus in terms of calling in the uh, Berkeley SWAT squad and other things like that but one of the outcomes of that is they passed an ordinance I guess saying no tents on campus and then somebody looked up to the farm and said you guys have tents what's up with that and so we explained nah, nah, nah. and they said you've got I think it was eight or nine months to come up with something else and uh uh, one of the reasons that we can continue to exist with our apprentices is that we can offer them on-site free housing while they're right, yeah. it and working because they take six months out of their life economically and logistically. And this is a squeeze, you know, um, so that was concerning. And so we mounted a seat of the pants fundraising campaign and we got a whole bunch of different design teams coming. We designed a set of tent cabins. We got approval to have these tent cabins, which are, uh, wood structure on three sides and canvas on one side and that was just a kind of a work around and enable us to have structures there without too much uh, uh, regulation uh, uh, although it was quite a bit of regulation Yeah, uh, I can uh, so um, and it uh, and this maybe gets to if we get to talk about the, University and such, uh, the administration in a generic sense, not individuals, so much. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is to say, I have a friend who put in a bid. He's a big contractor on the on the tent building. anyhow, we raised. Uh, I think it was four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in a very short order uh, of time. We um, we we had some political cap- capital with our our followers, our alum, and and others, and and it was pretty uh, amazing. Uh, and this friend of mine who was a contractor made a bid on the on the project. He didn't get it. But he said in the uh outside world it would be about an eight hundred thousand dollar project. And it was a three point something million dollar project in the university with their planning and regulations and all that. And similarly, uh a number of years ago, we uh, rebuilt the uh, greenhouse at the farm, which if you were on a farm in the real world, you would call up this company. They would say it's 30 grand. They would come and put it up in three or four days. It took us a better part of a year and took us better part of $200,000. So there's always been those difficulties. So at any rate, the the positive thing out of that is we got a serious upgrade in terms of living quarters for uh, the apprentices. Um, so they come. Uh, And they live for six months. They live in community, which is one whole education in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, they learn the rudiments of organic farming and gardening. Um, So uh, we, for a variety of reasons, we decided to pause the program for 2020 that we wanted to reframe, reset, and then boom, the pandemic hit. Um, so we haven't had a a program this last year Uh, we have refashioned the program we're hoping to put it online not this summer spring summer but next spring summer 2022 and we took what was a 22 24 week course and we refashioned it in two 10-week courses Mm -hmm. also going to do a series and this is something I'm really excited about, uh, of intensive short courses. So it could be one day, two days, three, four, five days, residential and non. Uh, They would be on a more limited set of topics, uh, some for beginners yeah, but more for intermediate and advanced uh, people who are involved in growing. Um
0: Will will uh will there still be the extended residencies, or are you shifting the whole thing to this kind oh,
2: of? Oh, we're going uh, to have a residential program instead yeah. of one longer six month program. We will have two shorter ten week programs. Oh, I see, I see. Wow. But the 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 ability to live on the farm, of course, the logistics and the economics are are critical to our student group. Uh, but what it gives you in terms of full involvement immersion is 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 really. Uh, 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 amazing. Uh, 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 I think researchers say something to the effect learning happens, happens best, best in a contextually rich environment. I give you the fields, the orchards, the gardens during the crepuscular hours, uh, early and late, dawn and dusk, as well as during, during the day, the work day like that. So, no, um, it's really, uh, for a lot of reasons, a, a real core of the uh, program. Okay,
0: let's take another short break. You're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM on your radio dial and KSQD.org streaming on the internet. This is Sustainability Now. I'm Ronnie Lipschitz, and I'm speaking with Oren Martin, who is manager of the Alan Chadwick Garden at UC Santa Cruz. So uh, you're you're uh, described as a, a, a master orchardist, and I did read that you love apples. So maybe you can tell us something about your your, your apple trees and and your, your apple yeah. crops and the like.
2: Sure, uh, I sometimes joke, I've been afflicted with the dreaded disease of fruit tree growing <laughs> uh, I, in my position. I hope I'm uh, highly contagious and, and infectious so I can spread the sure. word. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we have a sizable planting of uh, fruit trees at the farm and at the Chadwood garden. Um, we uh, we grow a, a diversity of fruits, but it just turns out that uh, apples are probably the best suited of the deciduous fruits for this climate. Mm. Until the mid 70s, Santa Cruz County was, and I said, right. it is the second smallest county in the state, but it was the second leading apple production county in the right. state. Before we ch- decided to use the land differently, either higher dollar value crops, crops not crops, crops, uh, blueberries, uh, other cane berries, uh, housing developments, strip et etc. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a preeminent climate for apples. Um, so. Um, So we have quite a collection of apples at the Chadwick garden we have in the vicinity of 80 or 90 different varieties of apples as I said we have approximately 600 trees, I'm constantly pulling trees and putting in new trees so I I don't have a totally updated inventory as per Mm -hmm. the number. But you know, approaching 100 varieties. Some of the best of the new production varieties, um, John of Honeycrisp, Fuji, all, all all the jazz is actually all that jazz I was going to say, but jazz is actually a new variety yeah, of yeah. um, And some of the uh, storied heirlooms. Uh, it's interesting that uh, over time, uh, people in the ag world have said heirlooms, eh you know, what are they worth as it were? Um, one of our grads, a fellow by the name of Greg, Gregory Peck, a distinctive name, um, uh, had, had been a divinity student at the University of Vermont, came to the apprentice program, fell in love with, uh, fruit trees, went and worked for a fruit tree operation down in Paso it's called, uh, Trees of Antiquity, went to grad school and is now an prof- associate professor at Cornell. His specialty is heirloom apples, organic apple production, and, uh, cider for the northeast like that so um so uh we've been growing heirloom everything but heirloom apples in this case for uh, a better part of 50 years and now they are trending They are trending in in all respects, and rightfully so. They are some of the most uh, amazing apples in terms of their history, story behind them. Yeah, sure. But also their performance and their versatility. Many of them could be eaten fresh out of hand. They can be cooked with. They make excellent dried apples, um, and they could be made into cider, whether it's soft or hard cider. So we... uh, are uh, all about varieties and trialing them out. Well, how do they do? How do they do in Santa Cruz? What are the pros and what are the cons? And then a couple of that. Um, what are good uh, pre-training systems, pruning and training systems to grow these fruits? So, that's a little bit on our apples.
0: I, I would think I would think that your your comparative advantage might lie in the you know the older varieties, since the yeah. new ones. You know, you can get them anywhere, right? Are you are you taking out new ones and putting in older varieties,
2: or um, looking for a mix? I waver back and forth. It's a I'm swing. Let's get with it, buddy. Come on, modern varieties. Nah, those old ones are better. So we've got an admixture, of course. But one of the ironies, and it's something I have an issue with, is. Uh, you, you look at a lot of new varieties and don't get me wrong, they are fantastic in terms of taste and uh, they're grower friendly uh, varieties, they're low disease pest pressures, um, uh, Ambrosia, Jazz, other varieties like that, uh, Pacific Rose, um, but they're clubbed and that just means they're proprietary. The oh, individual okay. who breeds them, has the uh, rights to determine what professional nurseries can propagate them for sale, and then who they can sell them to, and then who that grower orchardist can sell it to in the marketing world. And you and I cannot get those varieties, so I have an issue with, with with that. So there are some varieties that, yeah, I'd probably grow if I could, but I can't get into the club. Uh, but I, I just think it. It. One it, when, uh, when I'm talking to people, I say. Well, same thing with flowers. Like, Doesn't matter what I like, grow what you like. Um, and then also realistically, what will grow well? What will, what are reliable varieties of apples or any other fruit in this area? Uh, and there's a whole host of them. And some of them are modern and some of them are heirlooms. So, but there is a bit of a, a uh, cachet associated with heirlooms and we were some of the, at the farming garden were some of the first people to do uh, heirloom vegetables uh, uh, we grew leeks before anybody in the area knew what the heck a leek was um uh, uh, rest, uh fingerling potatoes and, and and whatnot so uh and, and it's really one of the great things about direct marketing, CSAs and farmer's markets. is people just have a, a, a wider appreciation for a whole wealth of different varieties. Yeah, new, but especially older and heirloom varieties.
0: I'm just curious. I was just thinking, does the does the farm do any sales at local farmer's markets?
2: Yeah, let's see. Uh, uh, let, let me also point out that his, uh, presently, uh, not totally historically, our funding sources Largely not from the university. You're Sure, they use in-kind uh, land, uh, water, and utilities, but it's self-generated. Our income is self-generated, and it's partially through tuition from our, our various programs, and it's partially through produce. Probably at the peak, the year before last, month, we sold one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of produce. So we 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 go to great pains not to compete with anybody out there in the outside world, um, and and yet there are. Uh, uh, gaps and we do provide for uh, for uh local uh wholesale operations but more we've shifted we do uh, a pretty large uh, csa right uh, yeah. for uh, agriculture a box a week uh in the vicinity of 100 by a customer 100 members uh, uh per season we have our farmer's market cart at the base campus like that and we've gotten so that we're involved with the basic needs program on campus yeah right. and so we're growing for the cafeterias yeah but we're also growing for the huge ins- food insecurity that exists amongst ucsc students and the six or eight pantries food pantries that are on campus uh, we uh grow a lot and it's, it's interesting that uh, uh uc pays money for the food that we raise for basic needs on campus and they pay us about a pound so i was telling my peers at the farm let's not grow a lot of salad crops let's grow potatoes and winter stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um so that's kind of our uh, marketing profile uh right now uh uh-huh. here and there we do some outside you know wholesaling and it's only where there's a gap and there's a need that we have something that's uh someone else isn't providing yeah hmm.
0: Well, uh, we brought it up earlier, but um, I imagine dealing with the university has always been a, a frustrating experience, right? And and as you mentioned uh, today, the farm would could not be could not be started. It just no just there's no way. Um, but uh, the, two things, you know, what what sorts of uh, I mean pressures is the, has the university been putting on the farm to become more academic? And more
2: scientific. Let's see. Leading question. Well, I mean, uh, no, no. uh, Let me let me see if I can uh, sort this out. Um, uh, We are rigorous. We are scientific. We are involved with uh, instruction and research in in a variety of different ways. Um, So uh, presently, I don't feel any pressure in that regard that hasn't always been the case well that's uh, what
0: i'm interested
2: in uh, that we were largely a practical concern teaching the rudiments of organic and farming and gardening in the 70s and the 80s and, right. and 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 then there was some pressure to be more academic uh, but there was no support, and uh, it'd be different if we were a, a, a line of item in somebody's budget, uh, and we would pay heed. Um, um, so, uh, but um, I guess through, uh, call it a rapprochement, as it were, compared to the early days. Uh, this conversation with faculty, uh, uh, we host a lot of research. Mm-hmm. At the farm, and some of it has been overlaid on the production system, but some we ha- we now have articulated research plots like that, and the topics are diverse. And uh we also are involved with uh, grants that support that. Um, so uh, I don't feel a lot of pressure. It, it's it's kind of a you know nascent, burgeoning, maybe even. Uh, symbiosis with the scientific community and uh, 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 u- using the farm and the garden. Like I said, we, we do research at the Choward Garden. Uh, our director right now, Stacey Philpott, is an entomologist and she's doing some fabulous research on how biodiversity in systems, not just farm systems, but garden systems, can foster you know, uh, what I call the three Ps. Pollinators, uh, native and non-native, predators and parasitoids, which is just basically beneficial insects, and how Uh, The more diverse your system is, the less pest pressures you're going to have. And these are things that now there's a lot of scientific information about. But these are also things that for millennia, people have known and maybe even just benefited from, again, serendipitously, because that was the nature of of farms and gardens. They're incredibly diverse. They weren't so much monocrop systems like that. So uh, we have... um, uh, and involvement and good symbiosis, I think, with the scientific community. I w- will say that this last year, uh, UC just appointed the first organic agricultural extension agent, jo- Joji Miramoto, Mur- who has worked with us for years, and he's housed at the farm, and this is really a, a sea change in terms of the role of ag extension. He's doing some amazing uh, research, and Really what it is, is research is going to help us and other farmers. And it's just so on the ground and practically based. It's, it's For instance, he's looking at things like you grow a cover crop, you turn it into soil, it rots down, the microbial community in the soil rots it down, liberates nutrients. You plant broccoli or whatever crop, but broccoli is a big commercial crop. And there's just a miss in terms of that set of methods and when the nutrients are available and when the broccoli needs it. So he's looking at ways to sync that up. And so this is extremely valuable information. Um, and uh, the farm can serve as a valuable uh, place to test this as well as other uh, farms in the area. So, um, so uh, there has been pressure. There has been misunderstanding. I kind of like the place that we're at right now in terms of um, communication, uh, that is with the uh, scientific academic world. And, and, and then let's look at farming. I mean, 20 years ago, quite frankly, people would look at us and say, hey, you go around back and take your boots off. And now we're lauded as you know, the stewards of the planet and all that. Um, and so uh, it's a good thing that there is recognition of uh, food, food production, food security is important. And, you know, as much as we teach the rudiments of farming and gardening, we're now trying to really involve issues around uh inclusion, equity, social yeah, justice system yeah. just in, in our uh, curriculum and in our audience of who we uh, serve and uh, uh, teach and train. So I'm not trying to evade your question. Ronnie, and, but And believe me, there have been uh, pressures over the year. Uh, some of them were more administrative than academic. Um, Uh, But what I found uh, about the farm and garden and its uh, personnel, as it were, is we could find individuals here and there within the system that could listen, be sympathetic and cooperative and supportive. So here we are. We still exist.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I'm just uh, I just remember that there was a period when uh, social sciences uh, was being fairly hard on the farm in terms of revenues. And then and then there. And then there was a period during which uh, university support was contingent on bringing more students in. Uh,
2: yeah, kind of that dollars per head. It's the classroom form. It doesn't really work well on a farm or in a garden. Yeah, it was, it's, it's, our style it's, it's, of teaching involves uh, intimate contact, constant contact with small, moderate uh, uh, amount of students, like that. Yeah, there wasn't a uh, in, in the early two thousands or two thousand ten or so. Uh, uh, pressure on us to uh, raise our tuition, which we did we tripled it or fourpled it and it has had a negative impact i mean of course we got more revenue but it's had a negative impact on uh, who can do who who can get access to this program we, we've uh-huh. countered that by uh, fundraising and scholarships and yet um, uh, it 's kind of the situation we find ourselves in but yeah there was some pressure from social sciences in that during those years in that regard that's
0: yeah, so uh, w- one question that, uh, that uh, occurs to me is, there's a lot of, I mean, there's really growing interest in farming among students and others. And uh, what do you attribute that interest to?
2: You know, I don't know per se, uh, because we we have a robust internship program. We have 15 or so interns at each of our three sites each quarter. And so you just start off asking, well, why are you interested in this? And it used to be, well, I wanna learn farming and gardening. But now, And I have great sympathies for the students. They say we just want to be outside.
0: Ah, that's interesting. Well,
2: uh, but but uh, there are some. I mean, they're young like our apprentice group is usually in their mid-20s to mid-30s they've been to college and they're pretty directed they they know however they found out that this is what they want to do students not so much but students are curious and, and investigating well now uh, with the uh, revamping of the uh, agroecology uh, major in environmental studies it, it's it, in fact some courses at the farm and garden are required for students mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. um i think it's just a, a societal heightened awareness of where does our food come from yeah yeah what yeah. does it cost uh, literally economically and environmentally to produce it how can i get more connected to that i mean in one <laughs> sense we try to connect people across the segments of the food system food people produce food with people who consume food but kind of blur the distinction so that everybody has the capability to grow a little food whether it's avocational or vocational and i don't know we've got 10 000, 11, 000 years of agriculture on the planet and it's just kind of maybe a little bit not literally but figuratively in our dna but um it's it, it's it's uh, it's palpable the the upsurge and it, it was it's been trending for a number of years. The pandemic has really uh, accelerated as is the 2008 stock market crash, but it's been trending upward as a growing uh, yeah, yeah. for you know more than a decade and a half, I'm gonna say.
0: Yeah, let's take uh, another short break. You're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM on your radio dial and ksqd.org streaming on the internet. This is Sustainability Now, I'm Ronnie Lipschitz, and I'm speaking with Oren Martin, who is manager of the Alan Chadwick Garden at UC Santa Cruz. I, I actually attribute the interest to the upsurge of food studies. You know, food as a cultural phenomenon, which I remember when I first encountered that back in the 90s, I thought, oh, you know, what a curious idea. And it has really, really taken society by storm. You know, it's, it's it's right, and and that's to me that's an interesting phenomenon. I still am not quite sure what drives it, but anyway, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we're, we're almost out of time, so I wanted to ask you one last question, which is, uh, well, after our honest horribles, you know, what do you see as as your future with the garden?
2: Well, I hope they decide to keep me on. Uh, um, I've been doing this, and well, I actually, in truth, don't remember a time where I wasn't involved. In right, it's 50 years, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, If I were to retire, my pension would be the same as my paycheck now. My wife said, "Oh, you're working for free. Uh, but I'm enamored of it. I'm still enamored of it. Uh, and I just kind of want to get it straight, you know, if you, you do a sculpture or you do an oil painting, it's there, you know. Uh, 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 you have a good year in the garden, it's spectacular, and things went well, but it's it's cursory, it just goes away, right? Uh, so uh, just that kind of uh, desire to recreate, make it better again like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, and, but But more and more as I'm aging, it's about, I've accumulated a reasonable amount of practical skills knowledge like that seem to have some facility to communicate it with others and here we have these people in their 20 somethings coming teens and 20 somethings coming and they want to learn what we know what i know like that And a lot of times with our apprentices what i say they got no money in their pockets and there's holes in their jeans but their their aspirations are high and they have it's phenomenal how in a short period of time six month training program they can learn and become practitioners on a professional level uh if they choose to do that so i I guess i'm just interested in just passing the torch and uh uh you know uh certainly being involved with soil uh the idea of intergenerational soil stewardship is important Uh and intergenerational farming and gardening. Knowledge, so if yeah, I can yeah. continue to play a role in that, I wish I had a, a emeritus status for staff as they do for faculty, so I could you know, work a little bit, have an office space, and then uh, maybe not have to go to meetings so much. Yeah. Uh, especially blue <laughs> meetings. Well, me.
0: I can tell you, I'm delighted not having to go to meetings. I'll so. Bet you so so no no imminent plans to uh to retire then? oh, no,
2: yeah. I mean the body's aging mind esteem you know the neurons are still firing reasonably yeah, yeah, yeah. like that uh no um I've been doing a lot of uh, writing lately articles and i actually wrote a book uh called apple trees uh fruit trees for every garden 10 speed press that came out in 2019 and mm-hmm. I, I guess i'd like to try to maybe if i could transition to a more mixed media where i have short written pieces some short videos and then in-person teaching like that that would be the ideal scene we are during this pandemic. We got money, and we're basically videoing everything we do. I'm involved. Oh, okay. A year in the orchard, an almanac in the orchard. Our farm manager Daryl Long is going to do a year in the field at the farm, like that. And so we're trying to things that we can use post pandemic, as in a, with our in person instruction and all that. So, but no, my intention is to keep on, keeping on,
0: keep on trucking. Yeah. yeah well, nice. listen, Oran. Thank you so much for being on Sustainability Now.
2: Well, I want to thank you, and I want to thank you for your years of service and your academic pursuits and your, uh, your uh, tone and tenor in terms of speaking up.
0: I've put some links to additional information about the garden and about Orin on the blurb for this show at ksqd.org. And if you have not seen the garden before, please be sure to do so as soon as the campus opens up. In two weeks on May 2nd, my guest will be Azucena Lucatero, a third-year PhD student in Dr. Stacy Philpot's lab. Azusina studies the socioecology of urban gardens in the California Central Coast with special interests in biological pest control, community and population ecology, landscape ecology, and food justice. That's on sustainability now, Sunday, May 2nd, 2021, from 5 to 6 PM right here on KSQD 90.7 FM and ksqd.org streaming on the internet. As a reminder, shows from the 5 to 6 p.m. Sunday slot are rebroadcast the following Tuesday mornings from 6 to 7 a.m. And if you'd like to listen to previous shows, you can find them at ksqd.org sustainabilitynow now and various podcast sites. Thanks for listening, and thanks to all the staff and volunteers who make KSQD your community radio station. Until next every other Sunday... Sustainability Now. Well, I came
1: upon the child of God. Yes, <laughs>